This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark on The Bigger Picture with me, Uma Pagan Ampike Pagan. Now, I've always been curious about the role of the travel guide publisher in this age of the internet. Are they still relevant? How do they come up with those hot places to visit lists? Do people still pay attention in this age of crowdsourcing? I have so many questions I need answering. And so to find out, I gave a call to Chris Zaya, who is the brand spokesperson for Lonely Planet. Hello, my name is Chris Zaya. I'm the Asia-Pacific Sales and Marketing Director for Lonely Planet, and I'm also the brand spokesperson. Let's talk very quickly about uh, some of the new books you have coming out over the next year. Um, I, I managed to get my hands on a copy of um, this new fold-out thing you're doing for children, and I think I have the one on the Amazon. Oh, fantastic. So you've got a, a, a what we're calling our freeze books, which is called The Unfolding Journeys. We're going to be doing two of those a year. Um, and we've done one on the Amazon and one on the Canadian Rockies. And it's an amazing uh, product that actually folds out that could be adhered to a wall, which actually is a beautiful geography uh, of, for instance, the one that you have, which is of the Amazon rainforest. And then on the flip side, you can find out all the fascinating facts that there is to find out about that particular destination. They're absolutely beautiful as well. And I guess it gives children an insight into traveling to these far off places that, well, many kids may not get to go. What was the inspiration behind behind these books in particular? Because you haven't targeted children in this way before, have you? We've very much um, come to to kids publishing with an idea of we want to inspire young people to connect with the world. We know that they're not necessarily going to be traveling to these destinations, but they're probably really fascinated about these places. And what we want to do is produce products that actually really gives an insight on what those kids could experience if they were lucky enough to go there and the fascinating facts and, and information uh, behind those particular destinations. And if we can put them in a really interesting um, format, like the freeze books, which we were just talking about, that's much more engaging and much more interesting from a kid's perspective. Yeah, for me, I remember growing up and, you know, this was this was the days pre-internet, pre-Google Maps and Google Earth, and, and an atlas was a big thing in my house. And I don't know if it was the same yeah. for you. Every house seemed to yeah. have an atlas. <laughs> Every I had I had an atlas and I had an encyclopedia of animals. They were my two things. That were they were my go to things. I was fascinated by weird animals from all around the world. And that's absolutely what we want to do with our publishing. We want to put together really eclectic and interesting information for kids. So we've done another book called The Cities Book for Kids, um, which is a, a showcase of the world's most interesting cities. They're not necessarily the most visited or they're not necessarily the capital cities in each destination, but they're places that kids might really like or be interested in. So a good example of that is we in, um, in Scandinavia, we go to a town called Tromsø. Um, and not to Oslo, um, and right. Tromsø is right up the top of um, top of um, Norway. You know, and there's the fascinating things about kids going to school in the dark with only the moonlight to show them to their, um, you know, to show them to their classrooms. So it's fascinating things like that that we want to showcase to kids around the world, rather than they're just kind of like you know the bog standard information. Yeah, let me tell you, Chris, I'm 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 one of those kids. I was the smartass who would uh, know that information over Oslo. And that would get me into all kinds of trouble and get bullied at school. But you know what it's like. Um, So, Chris, talk to me about parents and them deciding 
to go down this route because you know when you think when you think kids books lonely planet may not necessarily be at the top of your mind if you're a parent right you go for the picture books you go for those pop-up books and what has the response been like from parents yeah it's been really it's it's been fantastic actually it's been incredibly engaged we've got certainly sort of like four and five star reviews from a lot of places we have a lot of particularly a lot of mum blogs so blogs that are put together by mums particularly mums that are that are very um, praising of our information because what we've done is we've gone out and we've distilled a lot of the information. A lot of people find it a bit worrisome, you know, to send their kid online. They're not quite sure what they're going to be exposed to. So what we've really done is we've we've created a perfect package for a lot of um, a lot of kids and taken away a lot of that. Hopefully, a lot of that fear for parents um, that they can trust this brand and they can trust our publishing um, to um, be able to give kids that you know a really good look and a and a balanced look at the world but something that they can do from the safety of their armchair rather than um, having to go and foster all those things out from the internet. We really want to inspire and we really want to um, allow kids an opportunity to connect through the world um, or connect to the world, should I say, and, and it's something that's really important to us. Um, we also believe that this is going to be the next um, generation of travellers. So we want to inspire them from a very early age. And, and what better way to do it than um, through that, through, you know, through mums and dads, you know, explaining things to kids as well. Um, so, Chris, every year you guys put out you guys put out a kind of guide of all of the coolest, most interesting places in the world to look out for. And this year, Ipo made it to your guide. Ipo actually made it to our, what we called our best in Asia uh, destination. That's right. And in and even more interesting is we've done another product which is called Best in Travel, which indicates the places that are going to be. Um, Hot in the year to come, and that's come. That that actually was released um, not about six weeks ago now. And um, Perak actually hit the top ten regions to visit in 2017. Um, so I mean, obviously they're very well connected. Um, but it's really interesting that that these two you know, destinations have have rated really highly and are scoring very well um, within our criteria um, of selection when we come to producing these lists, which we do every year. So, Chris, talk to me about how that works. I mean, how did Payrock? How did Payrock make your radar? I mean, because we know, we know, we like Payrock. We we know Ipoh very well. We enjoy it over <laughs> here in Malaysia. But of course, you know the the places that always make the list, and you know this. It's Georgetown. It's Penang. It's 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 the obvious haunts. Yeah, yeah, and it's really interesting that you say that because very much for us, we're always looking about the places that are going to be big. So we're always forward thinking not about the places that are necessarily always big now or have been big in the past for travellers, but it's that thing that we are very much want to set the travel agenda and be showing places that people might not necessarily have thought of. Every year when we create the best in travel list, what we do is we um, we go out to all of our staff and that, that includes all of our authors. We have you know, close to 300 authors that are active in the field, um, all of our bloggers and our social networks, and we ask them to put forward suggestions of destinations that they think are going to be big in the year to come. There's a very strict criteria that they have to nominate destinations on. Um, that then goes to a panel, and that panel assesses the um, those destinations and comes up with a short list of 20 for each category. That then goes on to a sub-panel of travel experts, um, which includes our founder, Tony Wheeler, the editor-in-chief of our magazines um, and the head of our publishing and content. Um, and they then score all the destinations um, and that's how the list gets created. 
the scoring is very, very strict. So it's done on three specific criteria. Um, one being that it has to be topical. So there has to be something that's going on in the destination in the year to come. One, another being that it needs to be unique. So you can only go there to have a very specific experience from a traveler's point of view. And then there has to be some form of buzz or wow factor going on about a destination. Um, and that's how the list gets bubbled out. Um, and we're always excited when we see what actually comes out internally. Like it's one of the one of the hot moments for us in the office. We're like, what's going to make the list this year? So, um, really, really interesting that um, you know that we have um, we have gone for Perak as, as a, a great destination to go to, and it's rivaling um, particularly um, Penang in terms of the foodie scene. And we want to showcase that to the world. This product's also um, translated into 14 different languages through our magazines, and it's published into four different languages in a book form. So we're getting to hundreds of millions of potential travellers in terms of the um, in terms of this destination uh, being showcased to these people that are planning for um, for travel in the year to come. So, Chris, what happens when you approach the end of 2017 and you have a look back upon these places? Is there a feedback loop that takes place after that? I mean, do you reconsider some of these places and how do you, how do you gauge the response? Yeah, so interesting. So I'll answer that in, in um, two kind of formats. So in terms of the feedback from destinations, we know that a lot of these these destinations actually run with it beyond the year beyond the year that they're actually nominated in. So there's several destinations, particularly several cities that um, that may have been in the list, you know, three four years ago, and they're still actually using that kudos in terms of publicity. So we know that destinations are absolutely using that endorsement and continuing um, to publicise themselves internationally um, with that endorsement, which is fantastic for them, um, and we have no objection to that either. We do try and give um, people, like, make it a very cyclical, um, so because it would be quite boring if we um, constantly had Paris as the number one destination to visit every single year. Right. Um, so we do have a policy of, uh, of potentially resting destinations um, for three years, um, unless there is something that we absolutely have to go, yeah, it has to make the list again because it, it outshines every other destination. It's not to say that another part of, for instance, another part of Malaysia, or a city in Malaysia or another region won't get a, um, a look in the following year, but potentially we will rest that destination just, just in case because otherwise it's just it's just a little boring. No, you're right. I mean, there must be a tremendous amount of pressure to keep seeking out new places, new exciting places. Well, not just to make the list exciting, but to give people something to look forward to. Yeah, you're and you're absolutely right, and that's why we want to canvas all of our staff, all of our writers, all you know. One of the things that is really important to us here at Lonely Planet is that we are all travellers. Um, we, you know, we live and breathe what we do, so we want. If, and everybody's got a different perspective on things. So some people might like a destination because it's great with its food. Some people might like a destination because it's amazing, got outdoor experiences, or they can do lots of hiking or kayaking or something along those lines. Someone else might like it because they can take their family there and they can have a great family um, uh, uh, holiday. So all of those criteria become really important for us in terms of the way that we actually showcase the destination. So one year we might really focus in on a particular place that's very family friendly. The next year it might be something that's very outdoorsy. So again, we need to be very creative and really continue to look at why we're putting these particular places within the list um, and and make sure that we're really communicating that very well to the traveller. So we're actually showing um, why these destinations um, have hit these kind of top 10 lists. So, Chris, I was recently in Italy about a month ago. I did a sabbatical and I was in Tuscany for about a month. 
And oh, fabulous. The, yeah, it's I mean, it's absolutely incredible. But what surprised me was I'm of the smartphone generation. I live and breathe on electronic devices. I, I, I don't go anywhere without at least 10 different chargers with me, right? But what surprised me... <laughs> that's, what, the mo- that's just the modern way of traveling. <laughs> it is, it is. But what surprised me was the sheer number of people who still had guidebooks. And honestly, that was a surprise to me because I, I just thought that a lot of people would live their lives electronically. And, and it wasn't just older people. It was a lot of young people as well. So talk to me about this new world we live in and your place as, you know, one of the premier travel book publishers? Yeah, so globally, we're the number one guidebook publisher, um, and that's according to most of the markets we have, which have a product called um, BookScan, um, which means that we can actually track our sales. We also have um, such an extensive um, range of, um, of part, foreign partners that actually translate our product into local language. And particularly, um, you were in Europe, and we're particularly strong in Europe. So we've got very, very strong sales in places like France and Italy, Spain, Germany, etc. Um, but what is very interesting is that a lot of people... Um, aren't necessarily sure when they get into a particular destination that they're able to actually a access the um, the information in local language or in their in, in their tongue. So, for instance, if you're a French speaker, you're going to Italy um, for on holidays. Often, you want to travel with a with a French guidebook because you're not necessarily you won't necessarily speak the language, and you're worried that you won't be able to access the information in your local tongue. So, there's a little bit of that that's going on. Um, there's also the whole thing about pe- roaming charges, etc., as well. So, people have still become a little bit fearful of um, being burdened with big bills while they're away or scared that they might not be able to access um, access a lot of information via, um, via Wi-Fi because certain places have great Wi-Fi, other places don't necessarily have, have great Wi-Fi. So it's one of those things that people um, would notice that there has been a real return to print and we think that that's because people really trust having something as almost like a safety net in their hand. But there are, again, a lot of people that are just walking around um, with guidebook in hand Wanting that experience of being able to write on it, write within a product, or or keep a you know keep a memory tucked in that particular page, and we've become quite good at um, at, at returning to kind of pen and paper, um, and then when they get home from their trip, I'm um, popping it on their shelf and actually popping that memory there, so um, it's visible for them. Um, so it is really interesting that um, there seems to be this big return uh, return back to print, and and it's certainly not going away. You you use the word return twice. I mean. Was there a point when your sales did take a dip and then it suddenly came back up again? Because we've seen how that's happened in the ebook market. There was a there was yeah, a, certainly. You know, and there was a time exactly, when everything I mean, took a dive and then now suddenly it's Yes, yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. So we certainly saw that when ebooks um, did that big surge when everybody was kind of leaning towards fiction and nonfiction, that absolutely um, our product um, was being tested from a um, was being tested by that same market. I think the interesting thing was very early on, it was, it, it was very difficult um, with particularly a lot of EPUB because they were a very linear experience 
So you start at page one and go to page you know 50 in terms of your reading. Um, whereas with a lot of our products, you kind of have to jump around. So you might start on page 20, have to flip to page 225, and then you're back to page 17, and then you're up to page 72. And in those early days, the, navig- the navigation on those devices wasn't necessarily as strong as, as it could have been. Um, and so people weren't having the best user experience. And again, that's why I, I do think there's been this return to, I think people that use um, EPUB, particularly for our product, are, are, are now wedded to it and they love it and they keep on that on that track. Um, and then there's others that have gone, no, no, I want to go down the path of, of continuing to have a printed product in my hand. I think the other interesting element to all of this is apps. So apps is where... Um, you know, we're, where it's really interesting in, in creating supplementary um, products for people. So that's really there. And, and we've got a, a, an app called Guides, which is very much a city-based app, which is, people can download for free. Um, there's over 50 cities on the app, which um, gives you free content. But we, people tend to use that as supplementary or to make really immediate decisions. So actually, uh, it's a rainy day and I was going to do this. I now have to change my mind and do something else because I'm actually out on the straight. So we do find that people tend to use that kind of product in a very different way. And what we need to do as a brand is ensure that what we're doing is giving the customer the product that they want in the format that they want so they can use it at the right time, which is a bit of a challenge, um, but it certainly is something that um, you know I think we're getting um, absolutely right at the moment. So talk to me about the market of the free then. I guess this world of the internet where everything everything is free and everyone expects everything to be free, guidebooks still tend to be a little pricey, especially over here in Malaysia where our exchange rate isn't doing too well. Um, how have you guys been challenged by that? Yeah, so I, again, what we've tried to do with that is we've tried to cut content as best we can. So we have a range of products, which is called Pocket, which is kind of like an entry-level product which is sort of around 110 pages, um, much more low cost in terms of people being able to kind of put that in their, um, you know, put that in their handbag because, again, you know, the other consideration for us is um, is uh, handheld luggage and how much um, weight that you're allowed um, to take on board as well. Um, so we've got to consider all of those things too. Um, and we also absolutely are competing against everybody believes that anything that's on the internet should be free. The information is there. But unfortunately, we've still got to pay all of our authors to go out and research and create that, that content that content isn't created for people for um, people free. So, you know, there has to be some form of, of return for us um, to be able to deliver that thing into um, into the marketplace in a way that just means that we're constantly updating and checking in, verifying and being sure that we're giving the traveller the best information that they can get at any one point in time. I'm curious, Chris, about just travel guides in general and say, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan for the future, do you think that books, that physical books, are still going to be your primary method of distribution, or are you planning for something else? We're, we're a content provider, so we want to provide content in whichever format people want to consume it. So, for instance, as you suggest, in five, 10 years' time, there's an amazing new device that we haven't even dreamt of yet that comes out. Um, and that that's how people want to consume content, then we'll produce um, our content to make sure that they can consume it on that format. Where it's interesting and looping back to the conversations that we were having earlier around Lonely Planet Kids is we are going to continue to produce more and more beautiful, lush, consumable coffee table books, um, books on food and drink. So um, lots of we've released um, Lonely Planet Food as a a sub-imprint of our brand. 
Um, Lonely Planet Kids is another good example of this. So there will always be a part of publishing within Lonely Planet. What that looks like over the over the next decade, it's hard to predict because I think when I joined the business, um, you know, there were lots of which which was over a decade ago, and there was lots of rumours around um, everything going digital, but it hadn't quite emerged yet. So the challenge for us is just to keep up with technology and ensure that how we're producing content actually goes onto the places where those people are actually consuming it and want to interact with us. And of course, I guess the biggest the biggest selling point with with you guys, with your competitors, is that you bring that expert to the table, right? You bring the well-seasoned traveler, someone the reader can trust, as opposed to an average blog where we have no idea where that individual is coming from. You're absolutely correct. And I think that's the big thing that differentiates us between, for instance, something like a TripAdvisor, where it's um, a lot of personal opinion, but that opinion isn't potentially... Um, that's one person's experience um, rather than a travel expert's experience, which at best they are reviewing um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of destinations all the time. They've got that greater perspective rather than just going on that one holiday and they had a bad holiday, didn't like this particular destination because, you know, the bed was a bit lumpy, this, that and the other. Um, so that really shows the difference between what we do. We employ travel experts all the and constantly to do all of our, um, you know, to do all of our research within every destination. And each guidebook and each piece of content is researched every single time. Um, so that's something that's really important for us as a brand to stick to. When Tony and Maureen Wheeler set us up, you know, over 40 years ago, that that was their ethos, and we we, tr- we remain true to that today. Um, and I think that's that's the heart of this brand, and that's why we have so many passionate followers and passionate fans, um, because we are opinionated, and we we like to talk and give people recommendations of the things that we love to do. I mean, give people lots of interesting choices. One last question for you, Chris: How do you how do you manage a world where everyone is trying to avoid having the same experiences? It's a really good question, and that's one of the things that we try to tackle in Best in Travel as a product. Um, we really want to, and again, it comes down to that criteria of always looking forward. So we're looking for the reasons for people to go in the year to come, or that, or potentially the next, you know, couple of years to come. So we're all about, you know, is there a new place that's opening? Is there a new? Is there better access into a destination? Have there has there just been an amazing? Will there be a, a, an anniversary which creates? Um, momentum behind events or um, things to do when you're actually there. So it's always about looking at the reasons, looking forward rather than looking in reverse or kind of, you know, patting people on the back for going, you know, job well done. It's always about looking forward, looking forward, looking forward. And I really believe um, that will mean if we, you know, keep on that, keep on that strategy, that we'll always find interesting um, places for people to go to. And we haven't even cracked yet so you know who knows what's to come <laughs> <laughs> always thinking ahead that's great i'm looking forward to the lonely planet mars lonely planet i'm, I'm lonely planet venus so yeah, it's all good <laughs> fantastic chris thank you so much for your time oh no thank you i've been speaking to chris zaya from lonely planet you can find their travel guides their children's books their cookbooks everything at all bookshops everywhere you've been listening to bookmark on the bigger picture bfm 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.